since the recording of our episode of Trek Through the Scriptures, Chaplain Rick Jones was in a serious car accident, and we would like to uh, wish the Lord's blessings upon him. He is uh, recovering. Uh, he is home, uh, but we would like to remember him in prayer. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for sustaining Chaplain Jones during this difficult time. As you hold him in your everlasting arms, uh, we would ask that you would bring him back to health, that he may continue in the kingdom work that you set before him. Bless him during his time of recovery, and keep us each in your everlasting arms. We ask this in Jesus' name, O Lord. Amen. May the Lord continue to bless Chaplain Jones in his recovery. Have you ever wanted to see for yourself what the Bible has to say? Well, you've come to the right place. Join me, Pastor Tom Marsus, and Vicar Aidan Moon as we explore the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and provide you some landmarks and guideposts along the way. Welcome to Trek Through the Scriptures. Well, welcome back to the Trek Through the Scriptures podcast. I'm Vicar Aidan Moon. I'm joined by a, a guest this afternoon as we record um, Reverend Rick Jones from the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch is with us today. Uh, Zion is privileged to have a partnership in ministry with the ranch. And so uh, that's one of the responsibilities I have. That's one of the things my wife Naomi does as well. Uh, we have a chance to go over and interact and provide spiritual resources for the staff and the residents at the Dakota Boys Ranch. So if, uh, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce a little bit of what you do at the ranch, that would be awesome. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, really appreciate the opportunity to be on this show. It's kind of fun. Uh, but as uh, Vicar Aiden said, I am the Reverend Rick Jones. I, my call is to be the chaplain and vice president of spiritual life for Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch. I've been in this call since I got my call to ministry in the first place from the seminary since 2012. So it's getting close to 10 years, which is terrifying, but uh, it's been incredible. Uh, the Ranch is a recognized service organization, or RSO, of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Uh, we, Our mission is to help at-risk children and their families succeed in the name of Christ. That sounds really generic. What that means is uh, we provide selfless care, um, unconditional love, and support for youth that have been through some really awful situations, whether it's abuse or neglect, whether it's dealing with uh, mental health issues or autism spectrum difficulties or just the circumstances of life, they can find some help and healing at the ranch. And I've been a big part of that, specifically pointing them to the free grace that is offered in Jesus and the incredible love that God provides for them there. get to point them to uh, the incredible mercy of God that has offered even the face of the incredible pain that they may have faced in this mm -hmm. life. And uh, yeah, it's been a pretty incredible ministry so far. I look forward to continuing with it. And it's been a, just a joy to work with all the incredible people that help us along the way. Zion has been an amazing support for us for decades. Um, in the Bismarck area here, they've been such a blessing to us and our, our youth that we serve as well as to our, our staff. And it's been really 
wonderful to get to know the the ministers here as they pour themselves into the work at the ranch as well and seeing uh, some of you guys grow and be introduced <laughs> to a whole new side of ministry that you otherwise might never see yep. uh, get to grow in all sorts of new ways so it's been it's been just a joy and I, I thank Zion for all the uh, support and encouragement and really just their abiding love with us throughout the years they are an essential gift to us and I can't tell them how thankful I am for that well, again, thank you for being with us, and especially uh, for being with us for a kind of tricky week. We're going into some uh, some fun stuff in the Old Testament here. We've been spending some time. We've gone through the book of Genesis, uh, all the different stories, some of which are pretty familiar to us. Um, very rich, full book with a lot of, of narrative. We've heard the, the story of the Exodus. We've got God's people leaving Egypt, being freed by God in these various ways. Um, they're their covenant with God at Sinai, the, the Ten Commandments. I mean, this has been, some of it is is tougher stuff. There's been some stuff with the tabernacle and things that sure. we navigated last the week. The second but half of Exodus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But now we're really into the thick of it. And so, of course, we bring we bring you into one of the, the weirder and more difficult sections, especially unfamiliar for, I think, especially in a modern American context. Oh, absolutely. No. I mean— You've never been told, hey, if you want to start reading the Bible, you should start with Leviticus. No one's ever told you that before. <laughs> never. Um, yeah, it's uh, to a lot of us, it looks a little obtuse. It, it looks like a lot of rules and a lot of regulations about how to do certain things, um, how to perform ceremonies and rituals. And there's all these rules about what you can eat, what you can't eat, what you can touch, what you can't touch, where you have to live and all these sorts of things. And yeah, it, it can look... Uh, intimidating. It can look obtuse and confusing. Um, so I think it's good that we're you're offering this this sort of help to, you know, sort of break it down for people and maybe take a little bit of that edge off and not make it quite so formidable to enter a book like Leviticus because it's actually a lot of profound blessing to be found there if we understand what we're looking for and how it's being presented. Absolutely, it's. Well, one of the things that makes Leviticus so hard is that we don't think in the same way that the book is laying things out. And I think one of the things that's often uh, hard, and I know this has been true for me when I've read Leviticus in the past, that you sort of just read in order and you read this sort of list and you're yep. just like, where is this going? How does this all fit together? It just seems like a really big list of stuff to do, like yep. you said. And uh, that's that's one thing. So sort of just reading through it in order can be tough yep. for that reason, because it's not a narrative. Um, there's little points of narrative within it. But for the most part, it's not not telling a story like Genesis and Exodus. Yeah. We're telling yeah. these stories. And that that's one part of it that makes it kind of difficult. But what do you think is the most difficult thing for modern American Christians sitting down trying to read Leviticus? Yeah. Be, besides just the layout that of the lists and things like that, it's I don't know that. As modern Americans, we appreciate um, what the whole purpose of ritual and rite is, R-I-T-E, rite. Um, and Leviticus is laying out those rites and rituals of God's people as they experience their life interconnected with his grace for them. Um, everything that's laid out there is, is done for a purpose, and God's trying to show them that. But we kind of rebel against that sort of structure and order sometimes. We, we, we don't like the formality, and so we, we fight against it. Um, 
And sometimes I think that's our own fault because we don't take the time to teach what uh, rituals are about or what uh, a given ceremony is about or what it's supposed to communicate. And so that's on us, I, I think, sometimes. But when we do understand what they're pointing to, because they're always trying to point to something, uh, that repetition, that structure, that order provides a, a lot of help for us, a lot of comfort, really, because mm-hmm. it takes away confusion. It takes away uncertainty and provides you with something tangible that you can look to and hold on to and say, yep, this is what's happening here. This is providing me st- my structure. I might be unstable mm-hmm. with all this other stuff in my life, but if I go to this, this structure is going to help. This is going to provide me authority. It's, it's kind of like, um, let's say you, you get hired for a new job and they do not give you a job description. Mm-hmm. You might panic. Like everything's on the line. Like how are you going to get paid if you don't know what you're supposed to do? Like how are they going to hold you accountable if you don't know what you're supposed to do? But you're given that job description. Like okay, I know exactly what I need to do now. Mm-hmm. This is how I'm going to be a good employee. This is how I'm going to serve people mm-hmm. as I, I um, carry out these duties. The job description, that structure, mm-hmm. that that ritual to what your day and week and month and year is going to look like is providing you with the comfort. It's providing you with the direction. It's providing you with a way to carry out your identity in this vocation. And something that I find really interesting about the idea of ritual, I'm thinking about how humans are, humans are really ritual beings. I mean, we have the the habits and the structures that make up our lives, even if we're not thinking of them in a religious sense. We have these things that we do because it's a necessity. I mean, you, you have to have ritual to exist especially in community with other people absolutely um, it provides a, a structure for us to not just run roughshod over each other um, for us to have I mean things like like habits of, of you know manners or things like that are, are rituals oh. of a sense of you know shaking someone's hand with you which of course in the COVID times what's what you think of that like that's a that's an example of rituals being upset Yep. Of, yep. of people not knowing how to greet each other and yeah. the awkward elbow bumps and the, you know, whatever comes out of that. That's a, that's an example of how we really do have these rituals. And I also, I mean, there's a, one of, one of the professors at Concordia in St. Louis would talk about ritual and specifically the, the liturgy, the regular order that the church follows as uh, the world done right. And mm-hmm. that's something that's stuck with me because in a sense it recognizes that, um, our, our worship, our gathering together as the community of faith is a um, is practicing for the for a return to a new creation for things to be made the way they're supposed to be. And obviously, I mean, there's lots of funky stuff. You know, worship is not always uh, fun and exciting. It's it's sometimes there's a lot of repetition, but we recognize that these certain things that are laid out for us help us to, you know, whether it's, they, they help us practice certain things, whether we're practicing reconciliation with God, we're practicing, um, you know, interceding for the world. And we're also doing those things, you know, we're doing them in, yep. li- in present tense. We're actually receiving God's gifts, yep. but then we also carry that out into Monday through the rest of the yep. week. Um, and so like this idea that, that we can exist as humans without ritual is kind of, kind of silly. We're always going to invent oh, yeah. rituals even yeah. if even if we think we don't have them there's always those habits yeah well even something as as simple as well i set my alarm so i get up at the same time every day that's a ritual uh my setting timers on our coffee makers that's a ritual so you can have your coffee so that's the next part of the ritual before you go on to the next part of your day all of these little things that we don't even think about they're rituals or do you have a podcast you listen to on your way to work do you have um 
a, a, a radio station you listen to every day. On the that's a ritual. All of these little tiny things, and they're actually that's actually valuable. Yeah, um, I think sometimes there's they there's this, us, there's yeah. a fear of like this uh, of ritual becoming rote to the point where it doesn't mean anything, and that's that's legitimate. I mean, yep. we can that that that's not uh, a crazy fear to have, but I think we swing the other way sometimes in. And there's a lot of a lot of you know psychologists and people who've worked through these ideas and recognize oh actually habits really beneficial to us yep. regular repetition is very beneficial. Um, there's people a, are creatures of habit. Absolutely. At, at the ranch, one of the the biggest helps for our residents is having an ongoing schedule. Absolutely. A, a, a hard structure that doesn't change constantly. Yep. The chaos is uncertain. The chaos is stress. But having things scheduled out in something that they can expect helps immensely. When I plan worship services over at the ranch, um, as well, when I lead, cha lead chapel here in Bismarck, that is one of like the base features that I try to have consistency. And if I have something that is out of the ordinary or it, or a, a something that's different, it, it must serve a purpose. Yep. Um, it must be teaching something so that they notice it and go, why are we doing this differently yep. today? And then it teaches. Otherwise, the, the regular rhythm of how we do things builds those habits. Um, and and for, for example, this is a silly example, but one of the things we've started doing is, and it's, it's similar to maybe a well, you might in a normal church service, you know, the peace be with you kind of mm -hmm. idea. We start we start our, our services here in Bismarck by the kids uh, looking around at each other, us looking around and saying, I'm glad you're here. Nice. And they they kind of hate it sometimes yep. because yep. they don't actually want to tell yep. say that to each other. Um, they laugh at me a little bit and I sort of it's a little tongue in cheek, too. They know that it's like we're we're, we're pretending on some level, yeah. but we're pretending for a purpose. We're pretending from a place of hope that we could actually become the kind of people who look at each other. And sometimes it is. It's super genuine. Yeah. And sometimes it's not. But it's the, the the ritual shapes us to actually move towards that being genuine, not the other yeah. way around. Well, and you already kind of touched on that, too, when you said it's we get to practice uh, for what the redeemed eternity is going to be like right that's what god is prepping us to do through the worship service through our interaction with the word as we live as his people what he's showing us to do what he's showing us who we are that's us practicing for the life to come and there's there's a psychological principle of that and for therapy and stuff like that and you're doing that when you're saying oh we don't actually mean it it's fake it till you make it absolutely right? yeah <laughs> we, we pretend a little bit but because that's what we know we're supposed to be mm -hmm. and eventually whether that is incremental little bit day by day oh it is good to be here now mm -hmm. i'm supposed to be happier i'm thinking happier thoughts guess what i'm going to be happier until finally, it's ultimately fulfilled mm -hmm. when we get to be on the other side, and it's going to be that way all the time. So, so as we're reading through Leviticus, yeah. you can start to see some of these these ritual features as mirroring, um, in a sort of ultimate sense, how God interacts with His people, yeah. how this is going to happen, um, the fulfillment of that, and, and you really like think about how ritual shapes us, how how ritual can. Again, sort of the fake it till you make it principle. Uh, God has this really, uh, I don't know how to put put it lightly. They're just a rough group of people. They're not exactly who we would choose to be like the chosen people of God. You mean they're like us? They're, huh. they're, they're what broken. A concept. Yeah. They're broken, limited, silly, stubborn. Ridiculous people. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and we made note of this in our in our 
in our podcast on Exodus that, you know, as soon as they get out of Egypt, you've got this hard-hearted Pharaoh that's the villain. And then all of a sudden, it kind of seems like Israel's the villain all of a sudden. They're the hard-hearted ones. Grumble, grumble, grumble. And they immediately uh, start worshiping idols as, you know, they're sitting below the mountain. I mean, this is a rough group. literally talking with God. Yep. And they yep. know that's where he is. They can see the, the, the smoke and the fire up on the mountain. They're like, you know what? We should worship a calf. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's just this like this bizarre uh, thing for us. If we're thinking about this as, you know, God choosing some holy, wonderful group of people to be his people, that's yeah. not what is happening not here. And that's actually why Leviticus is necessary. Yeah. yeah. Um, this whole, the whole book and all the rituals, all of the sacrifices, um, these kind of ideas are surrounding the fact that God is doing something for this people who does, yes. don't deserve it. He is a holy God. He is set apart, and yet he chooses this very not holy people, and he gives them he gives them a way to come before him, to be in his presence. And we ended yeah. ended Exodus with Moses not being able to enter God's presence yeah, in the tabernacle, yeah. and now uh, that's going to change over the book of Leviticus. There's going to be um, a way that God provides um, provides a way to enter His presence, yep. and uh, there's there's a, we've one of the resources we've used some for our track is these videos that you can find on the Read Scripture app, and the Bible Project that produces those has a, this definition or kind of thesis of Leviticus, which I think might be kind of helpful. They say God graciously provides a way for people to live in His presence. Uh, and if you want to check out more, if you want to go to the Bible Project, and they have some really good visual outlines of this yep. as well. Their little videos are great. They're very, very helpful in kind of seeing the big picture. And and they, uh, so if you f- if you go to their website or YouTube and look up the Bible Project on Leviticus, that's a, a good resource. But I just, I think that's a great definition or a great thesis for Leviticus, that God is graciously providing a way for people to live in his presence. Yeah. There's this divide between God and people, and that divide is sin. Yep, yeah, ab- yep. absolutely. So we've got <laughs> we've got this divide. There's clearly something wrong, mm-hmm. and we've seen that since Genesis, yep. um, when when the the people were cast out of the garden. Yep. It's the same problem. Yep. It's the same problem there. We had the the flaming sword preventing yeah. Adam and Eve from going into the Garden of Eden. And, and as, as a grace, by the way, right? Because mm-hmm. if they, in their fallen state, they cannot have the same relationship with God, right? So if they yes. eat from the tree of life, they will live for eternity separated from God. So removing them from the garden provides the redemption opportunity. There's this idea, and yeah. it comes through in Leviticus, that if, that if you are um, unholy— and you come into the presence of God, that's bad news yeah, for absolutely. you. Um, that's a scary thing. And the people of Israel are rightly kind of terrified when they have, you know, this thunder and lightning on the mountain. Um, there's this there's this fear in the presence of God when you are sinful, when you are, um, and, and the, 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 there's this rightful recognition that the presence of God is not, uh, not good news for you no. on its own if you are still bearing the weight of sin. And yeah. so if we think of Leviticus and this whole book as God reckoning with that problem for his people, um, that and the ritual of shaping them into actually being in a yes. little bit yep. of a way the kind of chosen people for him. Yep. No, I think you, you, the idea of providing for them, right? God is the one 
doing the action. He's providing the holiness for them and then providing them with a model for how his holy people live Mm -hmm. in this world. Uh, And that's what Leviticus is laying out. Um, It's all, whether it's talking about the sacrifices or the rituals for what is clean and what is unclean, how we treat one another, what the priests need to do to, to be holy. It's all about maintaining the holiness that God has already given them. It's never about them earning holiness or adding holiness to themselves. It's maintaining uh, the holiness that God provides. And, and something I, w- I think is worth thinking about for, um, again, 21st century American Christians is, is something that I, we, at least in the Lutheran tradition, we think about this sort of sacramental idea, the yeah, idea yeah. that God uses stuff. Um, binds himself to something tangible for us. Yeah, absolutely. There's yeah. Well, and one of the things that I've often heard as a as people struggle with a Lutheran idea of the sacraments is how do you say you believe in, in faith alone, but yet you say, like, baptism saves or yeah. that, you know, the Lord's Supper provides forgiveness. And and that's, I think, a similar thing that can come with how does this, how do these sacrifices, you know, bring atonement? Um, how do they keep the people? Like, that seems like I do something and then God does something back. And and recognizing the direction of flow in yeah, the sacraments yeah. and in these sacrifices is from God to the people. It's something yep. that he is providing for them. And yeah, they, they're doing it, but they're not doing it as like, aha, I'm earning something. Th- that You would think if it was that, if that was the case, it would be like, go do a bunch of good deeds and yep. go, you know, give to the poor and do this and this. No, that's not the point. The point is God is... Um, doing something for his people, and they're receiving it yes. by then carrying it out in a ritual form. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, you brought up the sacrifices, and that it, it was never those sacrifices that bring about the holiness or bring about the, the redemption for the sin. The, these sacrifices are really practice, right? Again, they're practicing. We practice our lives, right? The worship service or, or just living out our, our daily lives. We're practicing for the heavenly kingdom. We're practicing for eternity. We live as God's people now so that we know and see what it will be like when we are completely redeemed. The sacrifices of the Old Testament aren't doing the work themselves. They're pointing forward and preparing the people for the ultimate sacrifice that will provide the holiness, that will provide the redemption, that will provide the atonement, the forgiveness. That's obviously the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. I mean, spoiler alert, Leviticus <laughs> is about Jesus. <laughs> as, as if that's a surprise yeah, with yeah. what we've talked about so far. You know that that's what it's going to come back to, so I'm, yeah. I'm glad we're on the same page here. Uh, and, and it's worth then, as, as it's a good transition, into sort of the center of the book. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Starting at, at Leviticus 16. This, this is right, right in the middle, and it is really the 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 pivotal center point of the book. Yeah, the and whole book is is structured around chapter 16, which is the day of atonement. Yeah. There there's lots of other there's lots of other details and features of yep. the book, um, lots of other important things we could get into which we won't have time for today. But I think as you're going in, keeping the the day of atonement as the center point will help us to then frame everything else around that. Cause, and, and you'll notice, I mean, if you, as you read through chapter 16 and into 17, you'll get that idea that 
of, of what we've been talking about, of the the ritual that God has given to his people to, you know, allow for this, um, allow for this, you know, right relationship with him. Yeah. And then ultimately, like you said, fulfilled ultimately in Christ. And there's always an aspect of promise in all of these that is pointing forward. What, yeah. what else would you want to say about the Day of Atonement? Well, I mean, it, it is. It's it's a big deal. It's still a big deal, even for, for Jewish people today, that, I mean, unfortunately, they, they don't see the fulfillment. They don't recognize what it, the ultimate purpose behind it being Jesus, being the Christ, the Messiah, the sacrifice on our behalf. But it still serves as one of the major focuses for the entire Jewish faith, this day where God is providing the scapegoat. Right, the, the the way out, the covering of the people, um, and so it, it's huge. It's it, it's a big deal. Some people might look at it and and and, and be a little disgusted, you know, because mm-hmm. we're we're talking about sacrificing bulls, we're talking about sacrificing lambs, we're talking about sacrificing goats, and that blood being sprinkled on the altar and then poured on the people. Mm-hmm. This. It's frightening. It's like a horror movie. Can could you imagine the the stench and the the feel and all of that? It's like, yeah, we don't like to talk about those things. But again, what is God doing here? He's making up for our sin, our unholiness, our unworthiness. And so maybe we should be a little disgusted by it because that's what's at stake. I think this helps us to see the death of Christ in new light too, because yes. I think sometimes there's, there's all the, the songs and, and pious sentimentality about how beautiful the cross is. And uh, it is in a manner of speaking, yep. Uh, yep. we can look at it in the eyes of our baptism and what's been done for us and see that as a beautiful thing, uh, a beautiful work of God, but it would be wrong for us to skip that it is first an ugly ugly yes. thing the the historical earthly reality of the cross is a heinous hideous moment of torture and pain it is it is god god the son being tortured and humiliated to the point of death and that shouldn't be a a sentimental kind of like ah <laughs> kind of thing for us in our yeah. in our mind when we think about it we should recognize and, and we need to recognize that that is yes the most like signi- it's a significant act of god central to the whole story of humanity is in this bizarre yes. jewish guy dying on a cross that that's not a pretty sight and that's yet how god chooses to work yeah. salvation ultimately and and that's the that can help us if we connect some dots with the the day of atonement and how it's sort of a bizarre and not particularly uh palatable scene yeah, yeah. to read about um neither neither is the death of christ and there there's a, some mirroring of that uh, you mentioned too that the blood being scattered on the people uh we have the same sort of pious sentimentality yeah, associated yeah. with the the idea of baptism yeah and uh, the idea of being like, you know, we sing like washed in the blood of the lamb, you know, <laughs> uh, and that that's some kind of horrifying image, too. There's a lot yeah. of uh, we we uh, reflect on. I don't know if we did it on this podcast, but we've reflected before on Exodus and the, the Red Sea and the imagery of baptism there and how it involves death and people being drowned. Like, yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of violent 
imagery in that that should slow us down and make us think about what's really at stake here. Well, I, and to bring it back to sort of the idea of rite and ritual, um, the rite of baptism has that language in it. It talks about Pharaoh and his army being drowned. It talks about the Noah's flood and the death that that brought to the entire world. Uh, we we understand this intellectually, but to stop and actually dwell in the imagery of what it actually means historically, I think does us some good because it adds that weight back to it. Um, yeah. And, and speaking of ritual, again, there's there's a lot of different ways people do like baptismal remembrance yeah. in, in the Christian church. And one of the ways that that is done is sort of evocative of the Day of Atonement. Um, the the pastor will walk down the aisle and splatter water on people as he goes down. Yeah. It's it's very intentionally uh, reflecting back the heritage that we have. And a lot of aspects of, of at least Lutheran and then traditionally back through the history of the church, uh, liturgical worship is reflective of and not 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 you know a mirror image obviously there's a lot of differences but pay attention to that you know look for the things that maybe are familiar in an order of service that you have been a part of over your lifetime and what what kind of continuities or where do you think maybe it's drawing from this history within the, the people of israel yeah so as we continue uh and and kind of give you a few tools and way, things to think about as you're going in. We've ca- talked about some of these big ideas, the idea of ritual, the, the day of atonement, and we've talked a little bit about that idea of holiness, of God being holy, uh, how he is dangerous to those who are who are sinful, how he is, is greater, he is set apart, he's the creator, he's totally different and distinct, and that's a, a difficult thing for our, us to wrap our minds around. Uh, what do you think is hard for for us in the modern day about the concept of holiness? Well, I mean, I could be really pessimistic and say, "Well, none of us have any shame." Um, but that idea that how, <laughs> how, nobody nobody's unworthy, nobody is 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 separated because of who they are or what they've done. But that's, I think, deep down we know that that's that's not true. Right? There's there's different people by virtue of choices they've made or or things they do or or seem like that we will do you walk on the other side of the road do you Mm. actively Mm -hmm. avoid them in crowds or things like that and um where does that come from that comes from whether it's applied positively or negatively Mm -hmm. right i'm not trying to justify us treating people that way but we have an understanding that there's things that we do or things that happen to us that change our status a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and I think that's a reminder at a core level of this idea of holiness and worthiness. And um, yeah, we don't like that. And and that's right. We shouldn't, we don't like divisions that are false. We don't like um, discrimination and we shouldn't like discrimination. Um, so we, 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 I think the, the overreaction is to try to get rid of that idea altogether, get rid of mm-hmm. any divisions and anything that would seem lower or worse mm-hmm. than something else. But uh, I think ultimately that indicator is there to kind of remind us that, no, we we are unworthy mm-hmm. of God. And he has provided 
the holiness for us, and he has given us ways to maintain it and mm-hmm. point to it and remind us that we are his children, that we are paid for, we are bought with a price. Um, and it's not just yeah. about feeling like you're not, you know, impure or unholy yeah, or anything. Yeah. There's actually concrete things you can point to. Yeah. And I think that that's true for the people of Israel and that they could say, God gave us this ways and promised that they would be signs and yeah. be be solid ground to base the fact that I'm clean. I can go yeah. before God in confidence because I have c- done what he has told me to do. Um, it's not it's not about like, a, oh, man, I, f- I feel this shame and I can't now I can't get to God or I well I feel fine. I feel yeah. like I should be able to stand before God. And so it's it's actually something something concrete. And that should make us think. I mean yep. it should set off the sacramental alarm bells in our heads to think about how we we have these things that God has given us. Um, his word and the the promises of his word, the the speaking of forgiveness, those kind of things that we can go, okay, I know. I know where I stand before yep. God, not because of some sort of disposition in myself but because of what he has said and what he's promised to work in yep yeah and i think we can also put it on um we have to remember whenever god is giving a command it's not just the negative it's for a reason right it's for a positive reason it's for some sort of blessing or protection on us so even like the commandments now thou shall not murder okay well yes on the surface that means i'm not taking somebody else's life but if I'm living in the community of God's people, that means that my life is protected too because someone's not going to take my life. Mm. So we're all living by this idea that life is sacred, not to be wasted and squandered like that. So what's the blessing with some of these these commands that seem really strange to us, right? There's always something. We just need to be able to step back and figure out what it is. How is God providing holiness or blessing mm-hmm. in these things? So if it's, the, the people that uh, come in contact with some sort of dead animal, they need to remain outside the camp for a while. It's because there's potentially disease and illness on that mm-hmm. dead animal, and you need to protect the rest of the community from it. That's why you're staying outside. Mm-hmm. Um, why are certain foods unclean? Well, if you look at the types of animals, it's the animals that you have to cook very specifically, mm-hmm. and uh, the things that they eat and the way that their lives are, they're more likely to have infections in them and so he's protecting his people by saying let's just avoid those for a while it also sets them apart from the other nations but at the core of everything god does it's to bless his people it's Mm -hmm. to care for his people and so i think leviticus approaching it from that perspective too is trying to figure out well what what is god doing to protect his people with these ordinances Mm -hmm. whether it's protecting them from you know false worship or protecting them from his own wrath or protecting them from disease yeah Yeah. all those things are true yeah (laughs) And uh, that that does that. So basically what we've gone through all of these different ideas, but we'll slow down just for a second just to think about as you're going through, um, including the uh, the different sacrifices, the idea of priesthood. There's sort of a breakdown all centering around the Day of Atonement. You have these ideas of sacrifices, these rituals. So the sacrifices from chapters one to seven and these uh, ritual feasts, which we'll get into next week. Uh, that are in 23 to 25. You've got these this variety of things about the priests, including some kind of disturbing little stories yes. that are in there about the, the priesthood and the danger of priests not fulfilling their responsibilities. Um, that's going to be... Not maintaining the holiness. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, 
so that's going to be from 8 to 10 and 18 to 20. So you kind of, you're 21 to 22, excuse me. Uh, and so you started to see, you know, these sort of are reflected on either side. We're getting closer to the center. Then we have this idea of purity, ritual purity in 11 to 15, and then moral purity in 18 to 20. And then right in the middle there is the Day of Atonement. Yeah. So this sort of structure of seeing how they, the, the two halves of the book sort of mirror each other in a way thematically uh, might be helpful to not just read it in order and go, what is like, how does this all fit together? That yeah. gives you kind of a flow. It yeah. goes from the rituals to the priest to purity to the Day of Atonement to purity to the priest to the feasts to the yeah. rituals again. So the circles of, of influence as you get closer to the big the big act itself right the atonement being offered and actually i don't know if you guys touched on this when you did the tabernacle section but the tabernacle is structured that way too Mm -hmm. right if the holy of holies is the presence of god himself you get the uh, outward ripples of that holiness Mm -hmm. of less and less holy less and less welcome there right Mm -hmm. Uh, whether the the holiest of holies the holy place the the sort of the sanctuary area or the you know where the people can be and then you get the camp and then you get the nations mm-hmm. and it all goes up only the high priest is allowed one day in the holiest of holies and then the priests in the next section and further out as you go the the book of leviticus is almost structured in that same way mm-hmm. and and as far as like some of the meaning and significance of all that stuff and how it's fulfilled in christ like we don't need to speculate because i mean yeah. just go read the book of hebrews yeah it's all right there. It's all laid out. I mean, you start to see the fulfillment and how Christ fulfilled all of that stuff. And, you know, if we had more time today, we could go into it in detail. But if you, uh, you know, want to jump ahead a little bit, we'll get to Hebrews later in the year and we'll get yeah. some review. But if you want to jump ahead and look through Hebrews, it'll give you some of the ideas of seeing Christ as the priest and the sacrifice. Yep. And yep. Uh, the perfect high priest who provides the perfect sacrifice once for all time. And that and the uh, you know the curtain in the temple is torn yeah. and there is uh, an ability to come into God's presence, uh, like like Jesus says you know all people will be able to worship in spirit and in truth. Yeah, that there is a a a powerful ability for all to have that way provided for them to come into the presence of God. That's incredible. It's a uh, a great gift, a great blessing to us, and I think that. We shouldn't take that for granted, and we should recognize that, like maybe we, we actually lose some of the beauty of that yeah. if we don't recognize that idea of holiness and unholiness. Yeah, like recognizing our our unholiness does not need to be just like, oh, I'm just beating myself up because nope. everything sucks. Like it's a, it actually brings us to be able to recognize with a, a greater joy what God is actively doing for yeah. us and in Christ. receive it with that much more gratitude and understanding. I think that's one of the beautiful things that Leviticus, for all its weirdness and quirks and foreign <laughs> foreign to our minds, yeah. uh, it can help us to do that, to really think about how God works yeah. and to think about the rituals maybe that shape us too. Yeah, um, I think that's good to bring it back to thinking about rituals and, and thinking about the rituals in our own lives. What are they adding to our lives or are they getting in the way of, mm-hmm. of other things that could be benefiting us? But when it comes to ritual in the church, in ritual in um, the ways in which God has provided his blessing for us, really taking the time to figure out why mm-hmm. we do the things that we do and what it is teaching, what God is giving us in mm-hmm. these rituals. 
So thank you again for joining us in the Trek Through the Scriptures podcast. It's been great to have uh, our guest here today, and we are thankful for you joining us uh, in tackling this this sometimes difficult book. Oh, yeah. And uh, we will uh, have a chance to come back to you next week. Um, Pastor Marcus will be back with us again then as we go into the next part of Leviticus, as we start reading the book of Numbers. I know it sounds really exciting, but it's better than uh, better than it sounds. It's not all just census census information. <laughs> uh, but we will we will get back again next week as we continue this trek. So thank you for joining us again and blessings on your reading this week. joining us on our trek through the scriptures this week this podcast is a ministry of zion lutheran church in bismarck north dakota to contact us learn more or for more resources on our journey this year please visit zionbismarck.org or find us on social media this podcast was made possible by a grant from lutheran church extension fund we thank them for their support please join me in prayer as we begin our new week Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them. That by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time as we continue our exploration of God's story in the scriptures. God bless your reading this week.